Hello, folks. This is Matt Milliner. I'm the catechist at All Souls Church, and Father Andrew has kindly asked me to put something together, sort of a digital catechesis in this season that we're in. So what I'm calling it is Catechesis in Crisis, which is where we are as a congregation right now. And I have this beautiful photograph taken by Mark Frost that I'm beginning with to give us a sense of that place that we're unfortunately inhabiting right now that is, of course, also ensconced in a context of a global crisis that has come upon us as well. So a few thoughts as we move forward and think about what it means to be in this time. This won't be long, but I hope it will be helpful as you ponder going through your first Holy Week in quarantine. I'm simply going to conduct this as if I was in front of you live I'm not going to give you a video of myself in quarantine, but I will show you the slides that I would be showing you. And as you will remember, often with when I do catechesis, <laughs> I like to give a reminder of where we've been. Um, and so this is the chart that I made not too long ago to describe that. And you'll see where I'm going with this. It's not just another review, fear not. And now, I mention this to you for a very simple reason, that... There is a beloved member of our congregation who kindly said to me, reminded me at different moments, that this is it's getting too academic. It's getting too academic. It's like a Wheaton College classroom. And initially I was like, well, come on. I mean, we got some Wheaton College students. We got a lot of professors. We got up our game here. And I was maybe a little resistant sometimes, but I tried to dial it back a little bit. And I want to be really clear to all of you listening to this <laughs> is that I have come to realize just how right this person was. And let me explain what I mean by that. That I was prepared when Father Andrew asked me to move ahead with this to basically gobble up information. Okay, so I was going to go to this great Philip Jenkins lecture. I recommend it to you. Epidemics, how the church has responded through history. And I was just going to listen to it, gobble up a bunch of info, throw in some art history, mix it up. Be like, hey, here's some ways that Christians have responded to plagues throughout history. It can help us in COVID-19. Great. Um, that would be wonderful. And I recommend, I seriously recommend this content to you. But I am deciding not to go in that direction because this is we we had a pre-existing crisis before COVID-19 came along. And as important as that stuff is, you've got availability for content out there that I hope you find. And I hope we all watch this. This is what I mean when I say <laughs> that it was too academic. What I mean is simply this. It's one thing to say, oh, look, look at uh, there's Cardinal Albert of Brandenburg, who's filching profits and selling forgiveness and sending it through the banking networks. And it's one thing to say, well, what, what happened is they were putting up barriers to grace and what they really needed was grace. And that's what Luther discovered. It's one thing to say that for the 16th century. And another thing to say that we are a church that desperately needs it in the 21st century. It's one thing to say, as you've heard me say again and again, oh, look, isn't that interesting how the origin of my ancestry, the Anglo-Saxons and some of your ancestry, is all about imputed grace, right? Regarding somebody as a person he or she is not, right? 
They're not Anglos, they're angels. They're not from era, but they're from wrath. Their king isn't alia, it's alleluia. This unmerited favor dispensed to the Anglo barbarians is one thing, but to say it applies to us right now when we need it, every person involved in every section of our fracturing congregation. Oh, that's quite another thing. That's quite another thing. It frankly was really easy for me to talk about that because it wasn't hitting home as much as it is hitting home for me now. And that's what I mean by this season that we are in. It's never been a more real Lent for us, and we've never needed the grace more than we've needed it. And that quote that I brought us back to from Luther, beware of ever aspiring to such purity that you don't want to seem to yourself or to be a sinner, for Christ dwells only in sinners, is real like I honestly wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. Like, no, not us, right? We were the church that talked about grace, not because we needed it so much, but because we were the church that rediscovered how important it was. <laughs> no, we actually need it. And the temptation for me right now, and the little asterisk is there, you'll remember, because this isn't saying at all that, oh, it's okay for any these bad things to happen. It's not okay. It's not okay for, for these things to occur. And I don't know of anyone in our congregation right now who's at all suggesting, oh, no big deal. I don't know of any. Everyone is understanding that what we're going through is difficult and painful. But that being said, grace is still nevertheless necessary in this situation. My temptation right now to use the law gospel formula that we keep going back to is say, I know what's going on here. I'm the guy with the tablet of the law, and I'm saying, I know who has failed, whoever that person may be. Maybe it's me. Who knows, right? And so if I just apply the, see, these are the things that should have happened. Off you go to the nether regions where you belong. I don't know who is in your mind when you are put in this situation, but if that's the thing, then you're up there being the judge or I'm up there being the judge. I've got I've got a full bird's eye perspective on this. Those are the people that are wrong down there. And that's hell. <laughs> that's what it leads to. And, you know, the punchline is this is heaven. Where the same gospel that brings us together, the same gospel that is heralded from our pulpit in our beautiful, refit, retro-acted suburban church with unimaginable beauty that no one would expect, the same gospel that's always been preached there is as true as it ever has been. Here is the one who can take everything that has gone on in this situation into himself and begs us to let him be the scapegoat for our present woes. And all of us receive that imputing jet stream of blood that we need to fix, quote unquote, this situation, not by fixing it, but by letting this gospel be more real than it's ever been. 
And our job is to point to him again because we need him. And he looks over us with that glory that is something we're anticipating. And yes, it's going to be hard from our individual homes to think of this. We'd love to be gathered around at the porch, having Rich light the fire as he always does. I want to be there, but we can't. Maybe we'll light something in our backyard. But we've got to look ahead to what he has accomplished for us, which is more real now than ever. And so we need to live on this side of it and avoid that kind of temptation. Please understand, I realize this I might be coming on a little intense because you might be not here and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm showing grace. Wonderful. But I feel the temptation to go over here. I feel that temptation. And the reason it's a temptation is because I don't know what's going on. I think I do. And so I'm tempted to come up here, but I, and I constantly have to remind myself, I don't have all the information here. I've seen a maybe 20% of what's going on. And, and some of you have seen more, some of you have seen less, but no matter what, this is where we belong. Even the person who knows everything, even the bishop who has given, given all the information he can, he might not know as much as some of us do who have such a long history here. None of us have this perspective. None of us do. So the best we can do is point and let that blood splash on our heads and on everyone else's heads. Most importantly, the people that we're most angry at. We have to imagine the blood splashing on them. And that's where it's hard. That's where it's hard. It's easy with the people that we sympathize with in this situation. And I'm trying to be as anonymous as possible in the sense, because I don't know who that person or people are for you. But whoever they are, they get that stream. This is the only way out of our situation right now. Only way out of it. And frankly, I don't think this congregation can, in its present form, survive if we don't hang out here and in a disciplined way reside on the gospel side of the law gospel formula. And that's what makes this place beautiful. When that light beams on everyone, and it's not until the incense is smoky, that's the only time that the light comes through. And we are as smoky as we have ever been as a congregation. It is thick with smoke. We can barely breathe. The closer we are to the situation, the harder it is to breathe. And that smoke is our sin, and that's what makes the light visible for all of us, for every single person involved. This is not to rule out justice. We want this to come forward. Justice, we want light to shine, the light of truth on this situation. And we don't have that truth yet. And we're praying for our bishop that he will have the tools necessary to bring light, to cast light into this situation. And I think he's doing it. I have good reason to believe this is happening. When I've taught catechesis over and over again, I've always had this slide that I want to talk about. I never get to it. As I do the theology of our building, as our, our space, I've always wanted to culminate with this, with this weird layout. And I have had this image in my mind of, that was shared with me by someone Christianity without a growing understanding of the gospel is replaced by performing or pretending. 
the shadow, right, emerges as we get rid of the need for the cross. And if you're all performing, it's legalism, pride, insecurity, and despair, and moralism. If you're all pretending, it's guilt, fear, shame, insecurity. He who is forgiven little loves little. And that's what true Christianity looks like, always having the cross at the center. And that is why we have to remember. That's, it reminded me of the chart, the way the organ pipes work, reminded me of that. That the cross is, is at the center of where we are right now. This is the Sunday where Jesus is led to his passion. We're pretty happy with him right now. And by the time the week is up, he'll be done. We will turn on him. That's who we are, all of us. I'm not, I'm thinking about Jesus and I'm not putting anyone else in Jesus's place. This is what we do to the king of the universe. We turn on him. This is the Sunday that I first came to All Souls. I remember Mark Clemens sharing with us that it was last Palm Sunday and he said, hey, this is my All Souls anniversary. And I thought, hey, that's funny because it's our All Souls anniversary too. Because when Denise and I came, it was a job visit, like a, you know, kind of, they bring you out, they say, try to find a house as quick as possible. And um, we had a weekend out here and we stopped. We heard Alan Jacobs is a member of All Souls. We went in and we were so sick and tired of hopping around different churches. And we were so struck and dumbstruck by the beauty of it. And Mike Strachan gave a sermon about Jesus and Palm Sunday. And we sat over by the corner and I looked up at that wreath of thorns. And I thought, this is a church about humility. This is a church about the gospel. And Denise and I, we just said, that's it. We never visited another church in Wheaton. Of all the places you can <laughs> visit churches, we never did. Because we said, this is a place about humility and the gospel. And it's still that place more. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe if we gravitate toward figuring all this out ourselves, it won't be that place. But it still has the possibility of being that. You know the Weimar altarpiece. We've talked about it. There it is. Lucas Cronick and Martin Luther they're getting the jet stream of blood imputed upon them, and it's a beautiful situation. And you might think, again, weird, gruesome, the kind of Reformation stuff before we learned more. Sometimes people look at this reformulation of the law gospel situation and they think, well, it's still kind of medieval. Aren't we past it? But is it really just medieval? This film helped me see otherwise. I don't necessarily recommend it. It's a particularly rough film, maybe because Francis McDermott and Woody Harrelson are at the top of their acting games and they're a little bit too successful at revealing the human condition. It's called Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and the basic plot is that Francis McDermott's character lost her daughter and Woody Harrelson's character, the detective, is unable to solve the crime. And so she rents three billboards that advertise to the town as much and explain that there have been no arrests in this case. Woody Harrelson's like, hey, I can't just make up people to blame for this. I don't have the evidence that I need. 
and the pressure builds up over time, the momentum of these two people coming into each other's lives. And at one point, a priest is introduced into the scene, and she rips him apart. There is nothing that Christianity seems to offer um, to the situation. In fact, she enjoys destroying whatever credibility this priest has in the situation. And so you'd think, therefore, that it's an anti-Christian film of sorts, but I don't think it's that at all. I think, in fact, it makes Christianity more relevant than ever for the following reason. The culminating scene is when Woody Harrelson confronts Francis McDermott, and what she doesn't know is that he's dying of cancer. He's in the late stages. He's toward the end. But the way she finds out is particularly interesting. Um, as they're yelling at each other, he accidentally spits up some blood, and it hits her face as directly as it hits Lucas Cronach, the elder's forehead in the Wittenberg altarpiece. And that introduction of blood into this situation of bitterness and anger completely alters the film. It is the first note of compassion and mercy that floods into her heart as she reaches out and says, poor baby, to this man. I'm not assigning Woody Harrelson to any particular party in our current controversy. Please understand that. I'm not doing that. But I'm saying, whoever that is for you right now, blood can change the situation. Blood can alter the dynamic, and it is blood, the blood of our Lord, that is going to be freshly shed for us on Friday, which is going to make this Holy Week a little more real than I might even want it to be. I'm going to leave it at that. A blessed Holy Week to all of you. Even though we're apart, let's do what we can to stay together.